Hello and welcome to the Rocky Peak Young Adults Podcast. We meet Sunday nights at 7.30 at the church at Rocky Peak. For info on upcoming events, find us on Instagram at rpyoungadults. Enjoy the message. Hey, what's up, RPYA? How are we doing tonight? Hey, it is good to be with you. If you and I had not had the chance to meet, my name is Dre. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Rocky Peak, but it is truly a pleasure every time I get to come and be with RPYA. I love what the Holy Spirit's doing through this ministry. And just personally, Pastor Kelly, Kelly McCoy, if you guys haven't had a chance to meet him yet, he and I have known each other since we were 15. And so to be able to serve, I know we're just grumpy old men now, but when we were 15 and idealistic and full of life, it's just great to be able to partner with him and be here with you guys. So, How many of you are at the hoedown again last week? That was, I was there, brought my kids and my wife. We got to see, I love pigs. And so we got to see a pig. I like showing my kids, this is what we eat. This is, we have, like it sounds bad, but it tastes so good as we go into it. Hey, I'm just curious before we start, what were some of your answers to your favorite fall question? What do you like about fall? Because my answer is nothing. Because I can't stand the fall because I'm a summer guy. Pumpkin spice lattes are like the candy corn of Starbucks drink, that it's nasty as we go in. It's getting colder. I can't stand Halloween because you have to go house to house. That's a lot of work for candy. I can just go to Costco and buy. So I'm just curious. What were some of your answers? What do you like? Tell me why you're wrong. What do you like about the... Now nobody wants to put their hand up and answer. What do you got? Like... What about sweaters? They cost more than a shirt, especially as starving college students. I figure, like, going in. What's your answer? (laughs) Here, so I'm going to speak as a pastor real quick. Candy corn is proof that evil is in the world. All right? Candy corn is proof that going. Curtis, why are you wrong? An hour of sleep. I don't like sacrificing the daylight for it. When it's sunny, there is less chance I can get stabbed. When it's dark, there is far more chance of that happening. So fine, enjoy your stabbing. One more. What do you got? Three seasons till summer. You're just doing the countdown. I feel you, brother, as we go in. Hey, if you're, uh, if you're here for the very first time, sincerely, I want to say welcome. Thank you for joining us this evening. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go into a time of teaching. I'm going to kick off this new series. So I'm going to pray as we get started, and then we're going to jump right in. So pray with me. Father, we are here because of you. Father, we are here because of how good you are. We are here because of how powerful you are. We are here because of how deeply you love each and every one of us. We're all coming from different backgrounds and different stories. Some of us have experienced some deep joys in life, and some of us have experienced some deep, deep pains. Some of us coming here tonight was a very easy decision. Some of us, this was one of the hardest decisions we've ever had to make for whatever reason. Regardless of the reason, you have called each and every one of us here because you have something to say to each and every one of us, myself included. One beautiful thing when we open up the word of God is that we see clearly. Father, today your Holy Spirit is teaching us how to gain a bigger view of you and how to gain a bigger view of who we are because of that. Father, as the teacher, I'm not up here because I'm perfect and have this all down. I'm up here because I get to learn alongside my brothers and sisters. And so as I often pray the words of John the Baptist, I pray that I would become less and that you, Jesus, tonight would become much, much more. Father, you are already speaking, and as your children, we are committing to listening to what you have to say. 
In your son's name, everybody said, amen. And so I'm really excited to be here as we're kicking off this brand new series called Behind the Music. And so let's talk about this. I wish I was more musical. It's one of those questions that if I could ask God for any other gift alongside the charminess I already have, I would ask for musical ability. Because even though I'm not musically talented, I just adore music. I have grown up loving music and loving all genres of music. I'm I was the kid in junior high, and I'm still the person on shuffle that it will go from Beethoven to hip-hop to 80s rock. I really appreciate music, and you know what it is? Music truly is a gift that God has given us. God has given us the gift of music. In fact, from the earliest days in the Bible, when you open up the book of Exodus, one of the chapters is a song that the children of Israel write after they've been released from Egypt. The Psalms, the longest book of the Bible, is an entire book, the songbook of the nation of Israel. And one of the reasons why music is such a gift is because music affects each and every one of us deeply. Music has the ability to affect us on an emotional level, doesn't it? Have you ever had a mood completely change because of a song? Have you ever been having a great day and then an Adele song comes on and all of a sudden you're reliving every breakup you've ever had or will had because here comes Adele or on the reverse have you ever been having a crappy day and you put on the right song and all of a sudden you smile and we all have some of those songs for me I used to be a DJ on the side one of the songs that will always guaranteed make anybody smile in any age group is the Jackson 5 I want you back with little Michael Jackson it just makes me happy every time I see it have you ever had this experience where you pull up to a red light or a stop sign and you look at the car next to you and the person in the car is just jamming and what's interesting is I have never laughed for them looking goofy I've always wondered what are they listening to because I want to listen to it as well see music is awesome for many different reasons but one of the amazing things we like about much of our music is that music can be honest you know music for many of us can capture how we're feeling. You know, as you look at our world and a lot of like social issues, a lot of racial issues, a lot of gender issues going on in our world that people are fighting left and right about, you can look and hear raw emotion through people's musics, through their lyrics, what they're going in. In fact, one thing that I love about the honesty of music is that music asks honest questions. See, often the artists aren't answering these questions. Often they're wondering just like we are. And what's amazing to me is that often some of this honesty is hidden in very poppy or upbeat tracks. So, for example, this isn't our song for tonight, but if you ever listen to the outcast classic, Hey Ya, it's a fun song. It will get everybody on the dance floor going. But have you ever stopped and listened to the lyrics? If you actually stop and listen to the lyrics, what they're actually asking is, what chance does our love have when everybody else's love fails? And it's wrapped up in a very thoughtful hook, isn't it? And so as I think about that, as we kick off this series, the song that I'm going to be talking about, just for a little bit tonight, I'm going to be going to the band Fun, and we're going to be talking about the song Some Nights. And so if you're not fully familiar, it's going to get stuck in your head. Nick, if you would just hit that beginning. Some nights I stay up, casting in my bad luck. Some nights I call it a draw. 
Real life, some of you just went back to junior high right now. Every time it hits that drop, I feel like I want to be dressed like a like a marching band leader, you know, and just start like walking through Target and scare people <laughs> like that. Now I love that song. I've loved that song since it came out. I like it because it's just fun. I like it because it's very poppy. But when you again, when you think about the lyrics, when I listened to an interview with the lead singer when he was talking about what inspired him to write that song, he was talking about the song is asking how do you make success and how do you make relationships last. And so it's got some honest questions into it, but specifically for us, I think it asks a very core question that many of us are asking, and that's the question of identity. Who are we? See, in those first lyrics that I played, he says this, oh Lord, I'm still not sure what I stand for. What do I stand for? What do I stand for? Most nights, I don't know anymore. And then later on, he says this, I found a martyr in my bed tonight. She stops my bones from wondering just who I am, who I am, who I am, oh, who am I? Now, when I talk about the honesty of questions, if you think about it, that question of who am I is one of the most honest questions that many of us have. In fact, many of us, no matter where we are in our young adult or college career, we've been asking a form of that question since junior high, haven't we? See, think about it. Some of you may not remember this, but I see this. I have three young kids that there was a time when you were fearless. There was a time when nothing rocked you. There was a time when you were secure and all you knew was I'm me and that's all that matters. I see this right now in my four-year-old daughter that she walked into the house one day and she had her dress clothes on and underneath poking out were all of her pajamas. And I went and I looked at her and I said, Lucy, like you're kind of mismatched. I don't care. I look good. And she just kept walking. <laughs> And I went, man, that is a great boldness. And the thing is, some of us don't remember. We were once like that. And then puberty happened. And often when puberty happens, we tend to focus as a culture on the physical changes. But the reality is that puberty has a bigger implication, and that's that it calls us to question our identity. One night, we went from knowing exactly who we were to the next day, we felt completely lost. And here's the thing about puberty. The physical changes happen once in life. The identity crisis happens multiple times. It happens multiple times throughout high school. It happens multiple times throughout college age and being a young adult. It happens multiple times. This is where midlife crises come in. And every time it happens, it leads us back to that core question, who am I? And we as people, you may not realize it, but we ask that question and we begin looking around us for someone or something to answer that question. We begin going, tell me who am I? Tell me, who am I supposed to be? Tell me, what am I supposed to do? And what we don't realize is that question evolves. That question goes from who am I to what we're really asking is, who do you think I'm supposed to be? And we go into this identity crisis, don't we? 
Now, now we start living up to be what we think others want us to be. And so think about it. That starts affecting the choices we make. That starts affecting the circles we run in. That starts affecting the relationships we have. That starts affecting our thoughts, whether men or women, how we see ourselves in the mirror. That starts affecting our goals. Well, I'm supposed to be this. I'm supposed to be this. I'm supposed to be this. And the reality is we keep working with a flawed paradigm. As long as we keep asking the world around us, who am I supposed to be? The answer will change. And so in that song, it raises a really good question of who am I? And so what I'm here to do tonight is I'm here to propose that there's a better question to ask. Now hear me very clearly, I'm not minimizing that question because that is a question. The question of identity is a question that we all need to ask and how we answer it, not only is it going to shape the course of our lives, but truly it's going to shape the course of our eternity. But rather than asking the world around us, media around us, the fallen nature around us, who do you want me to be? Imagine what would change if when it came to our identity, we begin to ask the question, who did God create me to be? See, one is based on opinion at the time. One is temporary. The other is based on never-changing character that will go on for all of eternity. See, at Rocky Peak, if you're new to our church, welcome again, but one thing that you hear us often talk about from the stage is that we don't just say this as churchy language. We know firsthand that God is an epic God and that God has an epic vision for each of our lives, meaning he wants us to realize we've been created to be part of something more. And so as we kick off this series, I thought it'd be appropriate to kick off this idea of identity. And by looking at that question, who did God create you, create me to be? Now, there's some of you here that you've never heard the answer to this question. There's some of you that maybe you've heard fractions or ideas or kind of heard about Jesus. And tonight, I want you to hear that what we're talking about is talking about you as well. Hey, there's some of you here that maybe you've heard it, maybe you committed your life to it, but you've forgotten that truth. Maybe you've forgotten this epic view that God has for you. And I pray that tonight is a refreshment, but also a catalyst to begin living in that. And so what I want to do is I want to show you a passage of scripture from the second half of our Bible called the New Testament. So if you've got your Bibles, open them up. you got your apps, turn them on. We're going to be in the book of Colossians, Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 3. Now, as you're turning there, whether you're brand new, never having opened a Bible before, whether you're a veteran Bible scholar out here, I always think it's always appropriate to have a little bit of context to understand what's going on. So what we call the book of Colossians is actually an ancient letter. Much of the second half of the Bible was letters, many times written by a man named the Apostle Paul to different churches at different cities. So in this case, the book of Colossians, the letter to the Colossians, is a letter written to a church in the ancient city of Colossae. Now this city, the remains of this city have been found in what is modern day Turkey. Now this was a Roman city. In fact, at 
this point in history, Paul is imprisoned as he's writing to them. He was physically there about six-ish years before to help start this church, and he's writing from prison to encourage them and to combat some false teaching that had happened. See, what had happened since Paul had left this church is that these people, first of all, you need to understand, these were Roman believers, meaning they didn't grow up Jewish. There is nothing wrong with growing up Jewish. It's a beautiful part of it, but this is what the Bible would call Gentiles. So they had no concept of one God, no concept of Yahweh, no concept of the Messiah. So when they heard Jesus for the first time, that's what changed their lives. And since Paul has left, there have been people, the Bible calls them false teachers, that have come to distort the message of Jesus, to minimize how big Jesus is, how powerful he's in, and understand this correlation. When our view of Jesus shrinks, our view of our identity shrinks. Our view of our identity is completely correlated to our view of Jesus, to how big we see Jesus being. And so what Paul is doing is that he's combating this false teaching with truth. And in the first two chapters, he takes them back to how big Jesus is. In fact, Colossians is very famous in his first chapter for a section called the supremacy of Christ. If you think about it, the word supreme, other than describing some of my favorite pizza toppings, the word supreme is reserved for ultimate. And so now that he's painted the truthful picture of God as ultimate, now he addresses the question, now who you are because of that. And so that's where we start. So let's read in Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. The apostle writes, since then, you, if you have a Bible, would you underline that word you? If you have an app, would you highlight that you? And this is very, very important because you need to understand these words are talking to you, regardless of your story, regardless of your background, regardless of your church history, regardless of if you followed the rules or not. This is God's vision for you. This is the life he desires to give you. You. So personalize this. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Would you underline that word raised? Since then, you have been raised with Christ. And so the very first thing that we see when it comes to our identity is that God's view of you is so epic that the very first step is granting you resurrection. Now, the question might be, why do we need resurrection? And that's sin. And so at Rocky Peak, we talk often about removing filters that distort who Jesus is, that distort who the Bible is. And so often we need to remove a filter in how we view sin. See, culturally, whether you've been to church or not, I think all of us would say that sin is basically doing bad things, right? Sin is being maybe a bad person. But also we would say that we have what's called a sin scale. There are the sins that are no big deal, little white lies cheating on the test, things that don't hurt other people, and then there's stabbing people. Then there's terrorism and all of that going in. And for many of us, we sit there and go, well, as long as I'm not stabbing people or doing anything like that, I'm still a good person, right? I'm still basically a good person, so I lie or I cheat. Again, it could be worse. And so we kind of have this cultural scale that if I compare myself to the worst, I'm always going to look really good, right? 
But when the Bible talks about sin, it doesn't focus so much on the bad things as much as the heart of sin. And this is why sin is a big deal, because honestly, an honest question for so many people is, why does God even care about sin? And this is where we need a bigger view of what sin is, because it takes us back to elementary school when you played the telephone game. That one person said one thing, and it got distorted, and by the time it got to the end, it had no meaning whatsoever. And often, our view of sin, even within the church, that has happened. And so the reason why sin is a big deal when you go back to the truth of Scripture, the source, is that sin kills relationship. And number one thing you need to know about God's identity is that he is all about relationship. Relationship with you. In fact, the Bible uses a really unique word to refer to us men and women. It refers to us as his beloved that he created us to be in relationship. And as a perfect father, and hear me, for some of us, that word father is a good word. For some of us, that word father brings up really painful things. We're talking about something much bigger than our earthly fathers. As a perfect father, he created us to be in relationship with him, first and foremost. And as a good father, he wanted to continue to give us good things. You know, as a dad myself, it's interesting because my wife likes to give me a hard time because I can't get out of Target without getting something for my kids. And we don't have a lot of money, but I just want to keep giving them things, not because I want to spoil them, but because I love the joy when they, when they see them, when they smile and laugh over dumb little cards, cars or things like that. And that was God's heart for us always was for us to gain the best of life through relationship. And things are well and good, but the most important thing when it comes to identity, let's understand the core issue. When we're asking who am I, we're also asking who loves me. Who loves me? Does anybody care about me? Does anybody care that I walked into this room tonight? Does anybody care how hard I've been working about this? Does anybody care about my pain? They may care about my successes. They may want to know me, but what if they found out who I really was and they don't want to know me then? See, those are scary questions to ask. And see, God knows the answer to all those questions and loved us anyways. And so understand what sin is. Sin kills relationship because sin isn't simply doing bad things. Sin isn't, well, I lied to Nana or I did this or I did that. What sin is doing is sin is saying to our God, you know what? I don't trust you. You say you want good things from me, but I got to say I don't trust you. Because to trust you means things like, I need to wait. To trust you means things like, I need to be patient. To trust you means, I need to, you're not going to give me the next 30 years as a clear PowerPoint presentation so I know exactly what's going to happen in my life. And I don't trust that. So sin is a question of trust. When we choose sin, what we're saying is, God, I hear what you have to say, but I don't trust that. So I'm going to try it on my own. That's what sin is. It's a distortion of God's heart. In fact, in the very beginning of the Bible, when we see how the enemy tempted Adam and Eve, one of the very, fir the very first thing he said was, hey, 
God said, God told them, don't eat of this one tree. He said, whoa, 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 whoa. Did God say don't eat of any of these trees? No, no, no. You know why? God doesn't want you to experience good things. God doesn't want you to be like him. God doesn't want you to have what he does. He doesn't have your best interests at heart. And we were created to live in life. And God is the source of life. And so when we choose sin, that's us, not God, walking away from life. And as we walk away from the source of life, we experience death. In fact, one thing I love about the Bible, again, if you're new to the Bible, one thing you will find out if you read it is that it is a blunt book. It is brutally honest at times, which I love it because I'm dumb and I need some brutal honesty to talk to me. And so Paul, in another letter, a letter to the Ephesians, he says this. He's like, hey, because of sin, you were dead. And I love that because he's very clear. He doesn't go, you were sick. He doesn't go, you were even dying. He said, our condition because of sin is death. And he goes on to say that because of sin, we became God's enemies. Now think about it. I've been on the wrong side of arguments before. I've been on the wrong side of choosing sports teams before. I have made enemies, unfortunately, in my life. But the thought of being God's enemy? But it does make sense because if I say, I don't trust you, I don't want to listen to you, I don't want to walk with you, so I walk away, well, that's not a healthy relationship. And so now I've become his enemy. And so there's an example I used to use. Um, I love cheesy 80s action movies. Um, because like Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone, because they're so cheesy. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, go in home and Netflix something. It's like one guy with a machine gun with unlimited bullets that mows down entire armies. You know, like it's not politically correct, but it's awesome. And it, and it also gave us the Predator, which is pretty cool, not the crappy one that's out right now. Um, <laughs> don't at me. Um, one of my favorite movies of all time, something I've talked about, is a movie called Die Hard with Bruce Willis. And so um, he's stopping these terrorists. One of the terrorists ended up being a guy in, like Snape and Harry Potter, but I will always remember him as the terrorist from Die Hard. And so spoiler alert, but the movie's like 50 years old. So Bruce Willis at the end throws a terrorist off the building, and he dies. And he goes off skyscraper, but that's what happens, right? And every time I watch that, part in the movie, what happens is I cheer. Now understand something, I know this is fictional, so I'm not cheering somebody's actual death as we go into it, but I get excited, right? Now think about a movie with clean-cut heroes and villains. You cheer when the villain loses, right? Because justice has been served, because that's what's supposed to happen. Well, the story of sin in the Bible is that in God's movie, we're the enemies. And we deserve death. And that should have been the end of our movie. But it's not. And that's because of Jesus. See, to understand the message of Jesus, we need to understand not only is sin a bigger deal than we realize, but Jesus is a much, much bigger deal than that. And so this is why Jesus came, to set things right. This is why Jesus lived 
See, Jesus could have just come as a leader and conquered everything. Jesus instead grew up as a kid. Jesus went to school. Jesus had a job. Jesus had a job with his hands. Jesus wasn't rich. Jesus became infamous, not famous, as he taught. Jesus died as one of the worst criminals, as treasonous in the Roman Empire, and yet Jesus rose again. And the question is, well, why did he do that? Two reasons. One, he did it because of sin, and two, he did it because of you. Because when Jesus looks at each and every one of you, he sees you as worth eternity. Now think about that. So many people's affections in our world is conditional. I love you until. I love you if. I love you as long as. But Jesus loved you at your worst. At your darkest. At your most sinful. And he died for that, to give you a chance to become something much more. And so as we read the Apostle Paul's words, we see how powerful it already is since then you have been raised with Christ. So we call this repentance. I call it beautiful act of repentance. What it is is realizing Jesus died for my sins. And so what we do is we don't, bury our head in the sand so that God can smush it down and go, you're awful, you're sinful. What we do is we confess and say, you are who you say you are. You are God. You do forgive. And I want to be transformed. And in that act of repentance, he resurrects us in this life and the next. And so now we're brand new. And here's the thing you got to understand about that. Sometimes in Christian thinking, you think giving your life to Jesus is the end zone. The reality is giving your life to Jesus is the beginning of the game. He's just getting started at that point. And so that's why he starts this way. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Would you underline hearts and would you underline minds? And so again, here is God laying out his epic vision for you. When you are resurrected in Jesus, the cool thing is you are no longer a slight like who you were. In fact, God didn't save you to be a slightly better version of who you were. Something I've said often from the worship center stage is that God didn't save me to be a version of Dre who goes to church more and curses a little little bit less. That's not his intent at all. The story of God is not to save us just so one day we can go to heaven and we just twiddle our thumbs until then. The truth of God is that he saves us so that we are completely transformed. We become brand new creations. We have been resurrected. And so when he says, set your hearts on things above, biblical language, heart meant more than your emotions. It meant your entire identity. So he's saying, you are now different. And none of this was conditional. This was only because of what Jesus did in your life. You are now brand new. And because of that, you are now part of a much bigger story. You are now part of a much bigger journey. You now have a much 
bigger purpose. You don't have to small think, small dreams, small hope, conditional love. You are now part of something bigger. And so when you set your mind on things above, you are now part of the eternal story of a love, of a power, of a hope, of a power, of a grace that will never end. So when he says that, it is a beautiful command. Set your minds and set your hearts. And he, in a sense, is repeating himself because minds, how we think, tend to affect our actions. So set your minds on the fact that you are on, you are now part of something bigger. Verse 3, for you died. See, we talked about that, right? For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Underline the word hidden. What I love about that is that in the original language, in the Greek of the New Testament, the word hidden actually connotates not hiding it out of view, but as someone who holds it tightly and protects it against all odds. And so what does this say about your relationship with Jesus now? You're, you are now hidden in Christ. He now holds you tightly. He protects you. He walks with you. He does life with you. See, the beautiful thing about being resurrected by Jesus is we are now with him. See, Jesus is not simply in these walls. There is nothing magical about this building. Kelly and I did not walk around this building and sprinkle holy water and do chants and say this is the only place where you will find God. See, who is hidden in God? Not the building, but the person. If we experience Jesus here, it is because the believers brought him in with you. That same Jesus is going to be there with you as you leave this building. And then verse 4, when Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Let me read that again. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So think about that. Now that you've been resurrected in Jesus, now when it comes to the question of who am I? What is my identity? My identity is now forever entwined with the identity of Christ. I am now a image bearer of Jesus. And so there is no separating that. That is how epic the vision gets when Christ, who is your life, and think about that when the people in our life tear us down. Think about that when the media hurts us. Think about that when our own thoughts betray us. That this is God's truth for your life. That your life is now intertwined with Jesus. This is who you are. See, some people have a misconception that as Christians, our lives have become worse because all we do is see ourselves as horrible. And the reality is, if that's how we live out the Christian faith, then we are doing something royally wrong. Because when I look at Scripture, yes, it talks about the reality of sin, but more than that, it talks about the reality of what Jesus creates us to be. And i got to be honest with you, that last verse, that's the end of our passage this evening, this last verse, when Christ chooses your life, it's a very personal Scripture for me. See, several years ago, like many of you, I went through not a rough patch in my life, but went to a significant, significant period of darkness, of trial. See, I'm a pastor at a church, but I'm a human being as well. And it was one of those trials that just knocked me to the core of my being, that had me even questioning, who am I? Am I even doing this right? 
or am I just a failure? You been there? And I remember I was crying out to God. And I was saying, God, I don't even know what kind of encouragement to ask for right now. I just know I need you. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit took me to this passage. And then the next day, I decided to spend some time with the Lord. And the Holy Spirit once again stirred and said, no, no, go back to Colossians 3. Specifically, when Christ, who is your life? And then what's interesting is the next day, same thing. I wanted to be somewhere else. And he's like, no, no, go go back to this. And I'm not exaggerating when I tell you that was the debate I had with God for the next year. That every time I wanted to open up my scripture, not to prep for messages, but just to be with God. I had devotionals at times. I had this. I wanted to read something else. He said, no, no, no. Go back to Colossians 3, 4. And looking back on it, I've asked God, why? Why that verse? And he's shown me since then because what you needed more than anything was to immerse yourself in how I see you. If I wanted to rebuild and move forward, the foundation of that was going to be my identity, my true identity. And so as I share this tonight with you guys, this is how Jesus sees us. See, we all ask the question, who am I? What do I stand for? And Jesus is saying, you are beloved. You are forgiven. You have the opportunity to be more. And so as I wrap things up, I'm going to invite the worship team to come on out, but I want to briefly talk to two groups of you here. There's some of you here that maybe you've never heard this quite in this way. Maybe you've kind of heard of Jesus and heard that he died for our sins, but maybe you've never heard the bigger story behind it. And it's not something that's coming from me, but it's coming from Scripture. And so if you've never heard that before, I want you to hear this, that this is the desire of Jesus, is to know you in relationship, is to call you home, is to remind you that you are beloved. See, the heart of Jesus tonight is for you to experience forgiveness, for you to experience his grace, for you to experience his transformation and for you to experience who you truly are. And so as we pray, if you're on that first group, I want to encourage you, if you would, follow along with me as I pray. And maybe tonight is the night that for the first time you're going to say, you know what? No, Jesus, you have my life. And if that's you and if you pray that alongside with me today, I'm not going to make you stand up. I'm not going to make you raise a hand or embarrass you in any way. But I want to encourage you, before you leave this place, over to my right, there's a prayer corner over there that has some amazing men and women that would love to pray with someone. Would you stop by and let someone know, hey, tonight I gave my life to Jesus. Hey, the second group I want to talk to is those of you that would say you're Christ followers. And the question is, hey, is this at the forefront of your mind? Everything we do flows out of identity. And so Christ followers, if it's not then I want to ask you to do a couple things. One, I want you to examine the voices in your life. I want you to examine who's telling you who you are. And I want you to ask the question, what is it going to take in your life? What changes need to happen for you to be immersed in this truth? Is it spending time in prayer? Is it spending time in the word? Is it memorizing a scripture like this? Is it coming to your life group? Is it joining a life group? 
Is it committing to coming to RPYA regularly? But when we talk about these honest questions that we all have, it's more important that we have the voice of God drowning out the voice of our world. So that as we go into the world, whatever it takes you tomorrow, you go in on the foundation that Christ is my life. I may be imperfect. I may have shortcomings, but I know that. And that'll never change. Let's pray. Jesus, I just want to come to you right now and say, I don't know where I would be without you. It's kind of a scary thought, but I find the joy that I was saved by you. Father, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't grow up with this destiny that I was going to be a pastor. I didn't even know you for most of my life. And then somebody once invited me to Rocky Peak. And I came for different reasons. And I found you. And not only did I find you, but because of that, I found who I am. Father, when everything else is falling apart, when everything else is changing, when transition happens in my life, who you are and who I am will never change. And so, Jesus, I want to extend that right now to my brothers and sisters in RPYA. This word from the Apostle Paul is your word to them, too. And so let me talk to that first group, Jesus. If there's anybody here that for whatever reason has never given their life to you, has never made the decision on their own to say, I want to be a Christ follower. I want to be transformed by the risen Jesus. I acknowledge who he is. I acknowledge what he did for my sins. I acknowledge the life he gives me now and for eternity. May they simply silently say this prayer with me. Jesus, I know a bigger view of you now. Jesus, I understand more of what it means, what you did on the cross. Jesus, I know that I sinned. I know that I rebelled. But I also know that you forgive it. That you wipe it away. And I want to ask you to resurrect me. Let tonight be the beginning of a new journey with you. Let tonight be the beginning of a new life, not a slightly better life, but a completely transformed one. Let tonight be the night of my homecoming. And if that was you that prayed that tonight again, understand what the Lord's going to do is a beginning in your life. Jesus, if anybody prayed that in this room tonight, may they have the courage to go and tell someone. May they have the courage to see themselves in a new way. May they now see that they are part of your family forever. And so as we sing these songs, they're all different, but they said the same thing. They declare how good you are, Jesus. Be our words. Be our heart. Be our joy. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for being our life and our identity. In your son's name, everybody said amen. Let's stand up and worship together.